Thank you. That concludes general questions. Before we move to First Minister's questions, I invite members to join me in welcoming to the gallery Abby Taylor, Presiding Officer of the Tobago House of Assembly. Thank you. And I would also invite members to join me in welcoming His Excellency, Dr. Robert Ondrejcik, Ambassador of Slovakia to the United Kingdom. Thank you. The next item of business is First Minister's questions. And at question number one, I call Douglas Rocks. Thank you, Presiding Officer. And can I remind the Chamber that my wife is a serving police officer with Police Scotland. Body-worn cameras are vital for police officer safety and to increase public trust. The SNP have left Police Scotland as the last force in the United Kingdom to roll out body-worn cameras. But yesterday, Police Scotland said they couldn't guarantee that body-worn cameras will be rolled out next year. Hamza Youssef didn't deliver them when he was Justice Secretary. As First Minister, will he let police officers down again? First Minister. Well, can I say, first and foremost, of course, that we have increased the budget for Police Scotland. I'm pleased that after last week, Douglas Ross seems to have accepted the point that the Scottish Government has increased the budget for Police Scotland by 6.3% by an additional £80 million. Uh, let me quote directly from Deputy Chief Officer David Page and what he actually said uh, around body-worn cameras. He said, and I quote, our current plans are that we will continue to roll out our national body-worn videos as outlined in previous plans. When I was Justice Secretary, of course, I ensured that we had the capital budget uh, to ensure that that could begin. So I'm very pleased to say that the Scottish Government, the facts remain that the Scottish Government has not only increased the budget for Police Scotland, uh, but much like Chief Officer David Page said yesterday, the plans are to roll out our national body-worn video, uh, video uh, cameras for our police officers, who of course are the ones who should be credited for the fact that we have seen the lowest crime rates in Scotland, uh, one of the lowest crime rates in Scotland for almost 50 years. Douglas Ross. The evidence was very clear that next year they will not be fully rolled out. Hamza Youssef said in his programme for government last week that they were a priority, but Police Scotland now say they can't guarantee it because there is a £300 million black hole in the capital budget. The First Minister likes to quote from Police Scotland. So let me quote a submission that they put to this Parliament's Justice Committee for yesterday's session. Our current capital allocation is among the lowest in UK policing. Is among the lowest in UK policing. This is significantly short of the funding required to improve conditions and equipment for the well-being of officers and staff. So if this really is a priority for Hamza Youssef, will he now treat it like one? First Minister. Let's deal uh, with the facts, Presiding Officer. The fact is the UK Government has cut our capital budget by over 6.5%. But here's some more facts for Douglas Ross. The Scottish Government has increased Police Scotland's budget by £80 million this year. Fact. Fact of the matter is, we have more police officers per head in Scotland than England. Fact. Of course, when we look at recorded crime levels, they are, they are at, at one of their lowest in Scotland in almost 50 years. Fact. In fact, 
recorded crime has fallen by 42% since the SNP came into power. That is a fact. So when it comes to looking at whether Members. or not Scotland is safer under the SNP, there is simply no denying that Scotland is undoubtedly safer under this SNP government. That is a fact. Douglas Ross. Presiding officer, budgets are so stretched that the police say that officer redundancies are now on the table. And let's look at facts that the First Minister wants to reiterate. £300 million black hole in Police Scotland's capital budget. Fact. Officer numbers in Scotland at their lowest, lowest levels in 14 years. Fact, First Minister. They started to slip when he was Justice Secretary and now they're in free fall as he's First Minister. And without further funding, Police Scotland warned yesterday that 2,000 police officers could be let go in the next five years. 600, 600 could be off our streets by April next year. So why is the government even considering these cuts, which will stretch policing in Scotland to breaking point? Yeah. First Minister. First of all, uh, can I just remind Douglas Ross once again that this year Police Scotland have seen a significant increase to their budget. And we are doing that, of course, in the face of a UK government that let's has cut hear the our First Minister budget. And let's look at how we are spending that money. Not only are we ensuring that we have more police officers on the beat per head than England. If we look at fair pay, we have just concluded a deal with our police officers for a generous and a fair pay increase to them. That means in Scotland that the minimum and the maximum salary is now higher for police officers in all ranks in Scotland compared to their counterparts in England and Wales. And look, when it comes to the budget, of course, we will negotiate, we will engage with all political parties right across the chamber in relation to the budget. But what Douglas Ross cannot do is demand more money is spent and at the same time demand that we cut taxes. That is simply not a credible position, presiding officer. Douglas Ross. The First Minister is getting angry again. Either a civil servant hasn't put this stat in his briefing pack or he is not reading it. Police officer numbers in Scotland under the SNP are now at the lowest level in 14 years. That is a fact, First Minister, and that is what we are facing on the streets of Scotland right now. Police Scotland will be the last force in the UK to roll out body-worn cameras. Officers no longer have the resources to investigate every crime. Their workplaces are not fit for purpose, and now the number of officers could be cut by 2,000. The thin blue line is barely visible at this rate. So does the First Minister accept this, that with falling officer numbers, communities in Scotland will feel less safe? First Minister. I don't accept that in the slightest. Around 1,280 new recruits have joined Police Scotland in the last 18 months. Over 350 more police officers than when we took office in 2007. When it comes to real terms increases in Police Scotland's budget, that's a fair enough call for any political party to make. And of course, we'll give that consideration when it comes to the budget. But has Douglas Ross ever asked himself why a real terms increase was difficult this year? Of course it was difficult because inflation is sky high. Inflation is sky high because of his party's complete economic mismanagement uh, of the public finances. So when it, comes, when it comes to real terms increases, of course we will give that 
consideration. But it was Douglas Ross a year ago that stood here that demanded the Scottish Government copy Liz Truss's disastrous mini-budget. If we had done that, we wouldn't have money to spend on our police service or indeed any of our public uh, services. Thank goodness that Douglas Ross is nowhere near the public finances of Scotland, presiding officer. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Presiding officer, last year the then Health Secretary promised no one would be waiting more than 18 months for an NHS procedure by September 2023. But the most recent figures show there are still 17,200 people on an NHS waiting list who have already waited over 18 months for hospital procedures. Yet another broken promise from a health secretary that has failed upwards. The result? People turning to private care. Figures out this week show 40% of all knee and hip replacements being carried out in Scotland are being self-funded by patients. 40%. Why does Hamza Yusuf think it's acceptable that almost 5,000 patients last year were forced to cover the costs of their hip or knee replacements because of his failures. First Minister. First of all, uh, Anna Sauer, of course, has every right to ask uh, around the waiting times that our NHS uh, are experiencing. But what I would say to Anna Sauer is every time he asks the question, he fails to mention, of course, the biggest shock our NHS has ever faced in its 75-year existence. And health services right across the UK, including in Scotland, are, of course, uh, ensuring that we recover. Uh, when it comes to the longest waits, again, just to inject some facts uh, into uh, this, uh, this exchange, when we look at the two-year uh, wait, waits, the number waiting over two years for a new outpatient appointment is down 59% in, in Scotland. When, it look, when we look at the 18-month uh, wait, it's reduced by 40.6%. Uh, we look at those waiting over uh, a year, 34% uh, of specialities had fewer than 10 patients waiting over 52 weeks. So there is uh, progress, there is recovery, and of course that recovery is going to take time. And what of course helps with that recovery is making sure that we have uh, NHS staffing at near uh, record uh, levels as they are under this government, but also making sure that we don't lose a single day of the NHS to industrial action. I'm pleased that this Scottish Government has ensured that our NHS staff remain the best paid in the entire UK. Anna Sarwar. President Officer, surely the First Minister knew about COVID when he made the promise last year that we eradicated by this time this year. The First Minister may not like it, but this is happening on his watch. In the last financial year alone, there were 43,000 patients treated privately in Scotland an 8% increase in one year. 4,739 hip and knee replacements paid for privately. 7,805 cataract surgeries paid for privately. 1,980 colonoscopies. 2,055 endoscopies. 995 hernia repairs. And most shockingly of all, 1,745 rounds of chemotherapy paid for privately by patients. Healthcare free at the point of need, a founding principle of our NHS. How can the SNP have let it get so bad that patients are having to find the cash to pay for life-saving cancer treatment? First Minister. Of course, presiding officer, we don't want people to have to fund care out of their own pockets. We know, of course, the impact that the pandemic has had uh, on our health service and indeed 
on those waiting lists. But I go back to the point, Anna Sauer, that this is something that is being seen right across health systems across the globe, let alone across uh, the UK. So when we look at those uh, right, uh, uh, happening here in Scotland as well as across uh, the UK, when I look at the figures from the Private Health Information Network over the first quarter of 2023, uh, of course it shows uh, worrying trends in relation to those who are accessing private health care, but it does also show that Scotland has a lower rate of uh, take-up of private health care compared to England and Wales. The rate of people who are self-funding for private inpatient daycare is 16% higher in England and in Wales it's 51% higher where the Labour Party are in charge. And of course, that will be cold comfort for people that have to uh, dig deep into their own pockets to pay for health care. But what I would say is it's not unique here to Scotland. So what we'll do is continue to see uh, that recovery, continue to reduce waiting lists. And what we'll continue to do is make sure that we, our NHS staff are the best paid in the UK so they continue to provide the excellent service that they do to patients up and down Scotland. Anna Sarwar. The number of people going private each year is going up. And those answers from the First Minister are going to be no comfort to the 43,000 patients who are being forced to pay privately. One person I spoke to in Canvas Lang just a few weeks ago, £15,000 for a hip replacement because he had to wait three years. Completely and utterly unacceptable. In the middle of a cost of living crisis, where people are struggling to pay the bills, they shouldn't also have to worry about the cost of getting sick. But on the SNP's watch, 43,000 Scots are being forced to find £15,000 for a hip or knee replacement, £3,000 for cataract surgery, £3,000 for a colonoscopy, £4,000 for a hernia repair, and even cancer patients forced to find thousands of pounds for their chemotherapy. Patients in pain and heartbroken families trying to scrape together the cash, some even being forced to remortgage their homes to pay for the care they should be getting on the NHS. First Minister, why are more and more Scots being forced to pay the price for SNP incompetence and failure? First Minister. What we're seeing, of course, is the impacts of that global pandemic, which has impacted every single health service, including, of course, the health service here in Scotland. But if you want evidence, if Anna Sarwar, forgive me, wants evidence of the recovery, we are seeing more and more activity within the NHS. When I look at the activity in relation to inpatient daycare, the activity for quarter two was at its highest since the start of the pandemic. That's not the first, not the second, but actually the sixth quarterly increase in a row with 58,813 patients seen in Q2. So we're seeing more and more patients, inpatients in this case, and daycare patients uh, being seen. I'm pleased that Anna Sawar mentioned the cost of living crisis because we are taking action to tackle that cost of living crisis. Because of the action we are taking, of course, it's estimated that 90,000 fewer children will be in absolute or relative poverty. In stark contrast to the position of Anna Sawar of a summer of U-turns, where he has aligned himself with cruel Tory policy after cruel Tory policy. Now, we are unashamedly anti-poverty, unashamedly pro-growth. The only thing Anna Sawar, are, Sawar is, is unashamedly pro-Starmer, presiding officer. Question number three, Ross Greer. Thank you. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking in response to the first UN Global Stocktake report on the Paris Climate Agreement. First Minister. Well, there's simply no denying that the conclusions of the Global Stocktake report, they're deeply concerning and that all countries, including, of course, Scotland, must seek to do more. The report found that nothing less than radical decarbonisation 
and systemic transformation will do. Scotland will, of course, play her part. Internationally, we will continue to urge greater ambition, greater action towards a just transition to net zero through our core chairmanship of the Under Two Coalition. Uh, I will highlight this as a matter of urgency while at, the New York, while at New York Climate Week, and we look forward, of course, to COP28 to make clear decisions on fossil fuels, renewable energy and climate finance must be progressed with urgency. At home, Scotland has made progress on our net zero journey, though we know more has to be done. We'll continue to work with communities, businesses and international partners towards a net zero future. Ross Greer. Thank you. As First Minister said, Scotland has a deserved international reputation as a leader on climate action, but our domestic record needs to match up to that reputation. With Scottish Green policies like removing peak time rail fares from a few weeks from now, we're taking action to reduce emissions. The First Minister said he's about to join other world leaders at Climate Week and then at COP. So what new actions is he bringing to the table to demonstrate Scotland's commitment to tackle this global emergency? First Minister. Well, Ross Greer is absolutely right. It's incumbent upon governments right across uh, the world to ensure that they are uh, bringing uh, urgency, pace and indeed initiative uh, to tackling the climate emergency. Scotland has already had a big impact on the global stage, particularly through our pioneering commitment to loss and damages, and I'm determined to keep building upon that. But in terms of new initiatives, that's where my programme uh, for government committed to serious climate action. Uh, cheaper public transport through free bus travel, trialling uh, the scrapping of peak rail fares on ScotRail, as Ross Greer has mentioned, investing almost £5 billion in the net zero energy economy, a new climate change adaptation programme, uh, a heat and buildings bill and the natural environment bill. Much more uh, on top of that that we will continue to build upon as we develop our new climate uh, plan. And it's why I'm looking forward uh, to hosting all party leaders so that we can get some sort of consensus, I hope, on the urgency that's required to tackle the climate emergency. Sarah Boyack. Sir, given that the Scottish Government has consistently failed to live up to our climate target, which is bad news for the 38% of households living in fuel poverty whose energy bills have increased, what does he say to the millions of people across the world and here in Edinburgh who will be campaigning on the streets this weekend to demand a just transition, given his Government has flip-flopped on oil and gas and failed, and failed to deliver? Let's hear the member. I think a degree... I'm just referring to the Net Zero Members. Committee this week and failed to deliver retrofitting of people's homes who are living in fuel poverty. First Minister. Can I say to, to Sarah Boyack uh, that she would have more credibility on this issue if her party didn't U-turn on its support on low emission zones yeah. or indeed it didn't dump its £28 billion Green Prosperity Fund. Yeah. And that is the very, very point here, Presiding Officer, no that time and time again, this Scottish Government doesn't just talk the talk, we're prepared to walk the walk. We will bring forward serious action to tackle the climate emergency. But what would really help, Presiding Officer, is that those parties that demand we meet our targets don't then oppose every single measure we bring to this chamber. So if Sarah Boyack, if Sarah Boyack is serious and the Labour Party are serious about tackling the climate emergency, join with us, support us, bring forward ideas that will help us collectively to tackle the climate emergency. Don't simply just dump the policies that you had and don't simply just oppose those policies that we bring forward uh, and support us because collective action is needed to tackle the climate emergency. Finlay Carson. Thank you, President Officer. Could the First Minister update the Chamber on when we should expect to see the published uh, update to the climate change plan? 
First Minister. At the end of this year, President Officer. Thank you. And we move to question four, and I call Jackie Dunbar. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister, in light of reports that no bids were received for offshore wind projects in the UK Government's latest contract for difference round, what action the Scottish Government is taking to encourage investment in offshore wind and hydrogen power in Scotland? First Minister. Well, Jackie Dunbar uh, absolutely exposes the UK Government's complete uh, failure uh, to capture one of the greatest opportunities for Scotland's net zero uh, economy. Their inexplicable stance is both uh, anti-climate, but it's also anti-growth. Industry has sent the UK government a clear signal that the strike price must increase, and we back those calls 100%. To ensure we seize this opportunity, the Scottish government supports the strategic investment model with public and private sector partners, specifically aimed at enabling uh, a move from project-led to, uh, project to sector-level uh, investment. Launching later this year will be the next tranche of hydrogen funding, uh, the Green Hydrogen Fund. This flagship fund will focus on supporting renewable hydrogen production from Scotland's abundant renewable energy resources, seeking to give us first mover advantage. But I do hope, uh, on the back of industry calls, that the UK Government uh, will, will, will listen uh, to the industry uh, and, of course, hopefully we'll have a successful uh, future round. Jackie Dunbar. I thank the First Minister for his answer. A new report from Aberdeen's Robert Gordon University, published just this week, further reinforced that we cannot afford to get this wrong and we must see investment in renewable technologies gather pace. The SNP Scottish Government has shown its ambition by committing £500 million to a just transition fund, but this has to be matched by Westminster. Can the First Minister provide his response to this new report and any update on discussions with the UK Government to match the Scottish Government's Just Transition Fund? First Minister. Well, I do welcome the report from Robert Gordon uh, University. And Jackie Dunbar is absolutely right. UK Governments, successive UK Governments, have taken billions and billions and billions from our North East and are not prepared to put a fraction back in. The very least the UK Government should do, the very least they should do, is match our £500 million just transition fund, presiding officer. And what I would also say to the UK Government is that the latest round is an abject failure to capitalise on the huge, the vast potential, renewable potential that Scotland uh, has. So what I would say to the UK Government is not just that does, does this harm uh, our economy, but it's seriously harming our planet. Over a summer where we have seen the visual impacts, the disastrous visual impacts of the climate emergency. This is a time for climate leadership. What we're getting from the UK Government is, of course, complete political abdication. Douglas yeah. Lumsden. Uh, thank you, President Officer. The fact that there were no bids received should be a wake-up call to this government. Oh, offshore, offshore wind should be part of an energy mix. Instead, they are putting all their eggs into one basket, a basket that is considerably more expensive than the Scottish Government Let's has Let's hear predicted. the member. So will the First Minister look again at having a more balanced energy mix that includes nuclear energy? First Minister. The, the, the member rightly looks uh, embarrassed, as he should be, presiding officer. The, the Scottish Government is somehow responsible for the failure of the contract for different auction that the UK Government controls, presiding officer. It is seriously desperate uh, from the member. If he doesn't want to listen to me, presiding officer, he should listen to the likes of Keith Anderson, who said, and I'll quote directly, 
This is a multi-billion pound lost opportunity yeah. to deliver low-cost energy for yeah. consumers and a wake-up call for the UK government. Let's listen to Dan McGrail of Renewable UK, uh, Renewable, the CEO of Renewable UK, who says these results, uh, the contract uh, for difference auction round, should set alarm bells ringing in the government, as the UK's energy security and net zero goals can only be met if we have offshore wind as the backbone of our future energy system. I agree with Dan McGreal. I agree with Keith Anderson. If Conservatives had any influence in this regard, they would make sure that the UK government listens to the industry as opposed to listen to those who back fossil fuels alone. Beatrice Wishart. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Uh, offshore wind is a sustainable source of energy and a key part of Scottish Government plans to reach net zero targets. But the Scottish Government's first round of leasing sold our natural environment short with a cap price per square kilometre. Will the Scottish Government ensure any future leasing rounds are not undersold in order to get the maximum amount possible to reinvest in public services? First Minister. Scotland, of course, is the first evolved uh, leasing round for offshore wind uh, development. Scottish Waters, the first leasing round in Scotland uh, in a decade, and uh, uh, of course, will make a significant contribution uh, in terms uh, of our public uh, finances. Not only, uh, of course, the £750 million pounds in revenues to the public purse, but the billions of pounds that it will create in terms of opportunity to the supply chain. But I'm more than happy to, uh, and the, the Cabinet Secretary will be more than happy to speak to the member uh, in relation to how, uh, what more we can do to improve uh, future uh, leasing rounds. But the, the point here is that the Scottish Government uh, believes in the vast potential of a renewables uh, industry and our, our renewables potential uh, in the face of a UK government that has turned its back yeah. on Scotland's renewable potential. So I hope uh, members like Beatrice Wishart and other members across political parties will join with the SNP-led Scottish Government to put pressure on the UK government to do more to unlock the huge potential that Scotland has uh, for renewables. Question number five, Miles Briggs. Uh, thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to statistics reportedly showing that the number of complaints against Social Security Scotland has increased by 350% in one year. First Minister. Social Security Scotland has introduced 13 Scottish Government benefits, seven of which are available only in Scotland, thanks to a total investment of £12 billion, supporting people who need assistance. In 2022-23, it received almost 370,000 applications, hundreds of thousands of phone calls uh, and web chats too. Social security is a fundamental human right, which is why we've established a very radically different benefit system built on dignity, built on fairness, built on respect. Our system vigorously promotes benefit take-up uh, to make sure as many people as possible get what they are entitled to, uh, while mitigating, of course, the austerity impacts of UK government policies within our fixed budgets. In 2022-23, there were a total of 1,790 complaints. So complaint numbers do remain low. In fact, in relation to total applications, it's less than a half percent. Miles Briggs. Um, well, I'm sure the First Minister must agree, though, that the situation isn't acceptable. MSPs from across Parliament will be aware of increasing costs and complaints uh, experienced by our constituents. SNP ministers have said all is well. However, we are seeing increased processing times, delayed delays in benefit rollout, and the possibility of the full devolution of all benefits not happening until 2026. So, therefore, can I ask the First Minister, when does he expect all benefits to be devolved to Social Security Scotland? 
First Minister. I'm more than happy for the Cabinet Secretary to write in detail to Miles Briggs, not just around the question that he asked specifically, but also on the significant improvements that we are making in relation to application uh, processing times. It's, uh, Social Security Scotland is a success story. It's because of Social Security Scotland, because of the actions that we have taken in relation to Social Security and indeed progressive taxation, that it's estimated that 90,000 children will be lifted out of absolute and relative poverty this year. It's the reasons why, of course, poverty levels in Scotland are still too high, but we've seen rises, higher rises. We've seen rises in poverty across the UK where the situation in Scotland uh, has uh, stabilised. We want to, of course, make sure poverty reduces. And the final thing I would say to Miles Briggs, and we will furnish him with further detail, so when it comes to the satisfaction levels uh, of those who, who interact with Social Security Scotland, uh, 81%, over 8 out of 10 respondents agreed that it was easy to contact Social Security Scotland, and 94%, over 9 out of 10 respondents agreed that Social Security staff treated them with kindness. That, Thank I suspect, you. is a stark Mr. difference to the DWP. Yeah, I call Colette Stevenson. Thank you, President Officer. Can the First Minister confirm that user survey results demonstrate Scotland's social security system is adhering to the founding principles of dignity, fairness and respect so that people are benefiting from the powers over social security being in the hands of this parliament? First Minister. Yes, Colette Stevenson is absolutely right. That, uh, the, the survey uh, shows uh, just that. And in fact, again, uh, when I look at uh, satisfaction levels, almost 9 out of 10, 89% of respondents said that Social Security staff were able to help them. 89% of respondents said Social Security staff were knowledgeable about benefits. And as, I say, uh, as I've already said, through the actions this government has taken, through the hard work of the excellent team at Social Security Scotland, uh, we have seen significant results when it comes to tackling poverty and child poverty in particular. And that wouldn't have been possible if it's not for the hard work of the excellent staff at Social Security Scotland and, of course, the ethos that we've had from the very beginning around dignity, around fairness and around respect. Question number six, Pauline McNeill. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government is doing to tackle repeat offending in the light of a recent report that found that people who experience frequent and serious repeat violence often do not bring this to the attention of the authorities. First Minister. The Scottish Government uh, commissioned the report that the member uh, refers to precisely because we knew that victims of repeat violence do not report their experiences. And it's, of course, important for us to understand the reasons and rationale uh, behind why and how we can help them to access that support. While there are fewer crimes and fewer victims than over a decade ago, the impact on victims, particularly of sexual and violent crimes, can, of course, be absolutely devastating. That's why we're investing in law enforcement, uh, crime prevention, and reducing offending and reoffending through a range of activity, including our violence prevention framework. We're also putting victims of crime at the heart of our justice system through our Victims, Witnesses and Justice Reform Bill. And we've invested £93 million over the past five years to support victims. Pauline McNeill. I do welcome this report by the Scottish Government, which seeks to understand, or better understand, repeat violent victimisation. But it found that of those men experiencing repeat physical violence in Scotland, they live in deprived areas, have experienced homelessness or are living in supported accommodation and in recovery from addiction. Whereas intimate partner abuse was the highest amongst women aged 16 to 24, also living in deprived areas. But the report talks about local communities led by mentors, 
peer mentors and those with lived experience were uniquely positioned to support people experiencing repeat violence. So is First Minister a slightly different perspective on crime? So I ask the First Minister, uh, with that in mind, what can be done to support the grassroots organisations, which the research found is quite limited by insecure funding? First Minister. I think Polly McNeill makes some very important points uh, indeed, and uh, that, the points that she makes is exactly why we will continue to support programmes such as Medics Against Violence um, and, and, of course, uh, the delivery of the excellent Navigator uh, programme. It's why we've invested and continue to invest in the violent, uh, Violence Reduction Unit, which has been hailed uh, as a great exemplar uh, globally. And in terms of supporting uh, grassroots organisations, I couldn't agree more with uh, Polly McNeill. I think the investment in those third sector partners is absolutely crucial. And that's why um, more than 20 organisations have received awards from our victim-centred approach fund, including Victim Support Scotland, uh, who were awarded over 18 million to support families bereaved by, by crime uh, service. So we'll continue to invest in those grassroots uh, interventions. Uh, what I would say to Polly McNeill is, of course, the uh, Justice Secretary will be more than happy uh, to continue the conversation, Polly McNeill. We've received that report. It's really important that we act upon what that uh, excellent report uh, is telling us. Thank you. We move to general and constituency supplementaries, and I call Claire Adamson. Thank you very much, President Officer. Does the First Minister share my dismay that Motherwell Concert Hall and Theatre was closed with immediate effect until further notice due to the discovery of rack concrete in the roof of the building. Of course, safety is absolutely paramount. Motherwell Civic Theatre and Concert Hall is a beloved venue, both by professional and amateur performers, not least the cast of the acclaimed Christmas Panto. Can I ask the First Minister if the Scottish Government will engage with the local authority on the challenges facing the future of this important local cultural venue. First Minister. Yes, we will continue to engage uh, with local authorities, as we have done uh, throughout the course of the last, not just few weeks, uh, but few months. Uh, and I'm more than happy for the Cabinet Secretary to speak, of course, uh, we'll speak directly uh, to Claire Adamson. Claire Adamson is right. These are, are difficult issues. It's really important uh, that uh, local authorities and that others uh, continue uh, to align themselves with the Institute of Structural Engineers' uh, guidance. That is what uh, partners are seeking to do, and of course that empowers them to take the appropriate mitigations, and that can include, at times, unfortunately, having to close down uh, buildings where they feel that is necessary. But I'm more than happy to ensure that uh, the, the Cabinet Secretary writes to Claire Adamson, I'm sure, should be happy to engage with Claire Adamson too uh, on this very important issue. Sue Weber. First Minister, childcare formed the cornerstone of your programme for government. It is also central for child development and allowing parents and carers to get back to work. Yesterday, out of the blue, Curry primary school families lost their before and after school clubs. Parents have contacted me desperate for help, with one unsure how they can balance childcare and their job as a teacher in Dalkeith. First Minister, will you meet with me to discuss solutions to this very pressing local issue? First Minister. I'd be more than happy for uh, Sue Weber to furnish uh, the government uh, with the full details. Obviously, she's given uh, a synopsis of the situation, and of course, the Cabinet Secretary would uh, be more than uh, happy to meet with uh, Sue Weber. Uh, Sue Weber is right. Childcare uh, was a cornerstone, not just of my programme for government, but it has been a cornerstone uh, of this uh, government uh, s s since 2007. And we now have, of course, a very generous childcare offer, one that I'm very keen to build upon, and that's why also. Uh, the staff who do a phenomenal job in terms of providing that childcare, uh, I will ensure that they are paid 
uh, the funds are available to pay them £12 an hour uh, within the PVI sector. But uh, if Sue Webber can furnish the government with uh, full details, then I'll ensure that the Cabinet Secretary engages with her on this issue. I'm Duncan Glancy. Thank you, Presiding Officer. This week, disabled people in Glasgow have written to all MSPs in the region, including the First Minister, to say that, and I quote, despite our large numbers, disabled people have never been a priority for the Scottish Government. The Glasgow Centre for Population Health has described the situation as a human catastrophe, and the CEO of Glasgow Disability Alliance has said that the result is that disabled people are dying of poverty. Nobody knows and nobody cares. So can I ask the First Minister, does he know that it's this bad for disabled people in the city he represents? And does he care enough to commit to taking action to address it, including to end non-residential care charges? First Minister. Uh, I, do, I do understand, of course, because I met with the Glasgow Disability Alliance just a matter of weeks ago. I heard from uh, the, the members of the board uh, of the Glasgow Disability Alliance and Tressa Burke, uh, who very powerfully over the years has articulated uh, the concerns for uh, disabled uh, people uh, living in Scotland. Uh, that's why my programme uh, for government, of course, uh, committed to reopen the Independent Living Fund, which was an ask uh, from disabled people's uh, organisations. And of course, that's why we'll continue to work with them to see what more we can do, including, of course, the ending of non-residential care charges, which we are uh, still committed to do by the end of this parliamentary term. But I would say to Pam Duncan Glancy, uh, that will come at a significant uh, cost. So it's really important that when Labour do engage with us, they do not turn their back on progressive tax taxation, as Anna Sawar seems to have done, and to turn their backs on any ability for us to raise any revenue. Because all of these, all of these initiatives, well-intentioned, can make a difference, uh, will cost money, and it's so important that uh, we engage in a credible discussion around how we raise that uh, revenue. Alistair Allen. The Linda Norgrove Foundation in my constituency has been desperately trying to get 20 female medical students out of Taliban-ruled Afghanistan and into medical schools in Scotland. However, they are being stymied by UK visa issues. I know that the Foundation were extremely appreciative of the Cabinet Secretary's help when they met with her last month. Is there anything further the Scottish Government can do to help these inspirational women? First Minister. Well, I hope all of us as a parliament can unite uh, to, uh, to back uh, this particular cause. I want to pay tribute to the excellent work that Linda Norgrove Foundation uh, does. I think it's incumbent on all of us to put pressure on the UK government uh, on the Home Office to help, uh, given we all know the plight, uh, how difficult the plight is for women uh, in Afghanistan. So, uh, Jenny Ruth, I know the Cabinet Secretary, has engaged with the foundation. Uh, we've also, uh, my understanding, has engaged and written to the UK government uh, and the Home Office on this particular matter. I will see if there's anything more that we can possibly do uh, on this issue, but I would hope that we can collectively join as a parliament to say to the UK government that their response, their foot dragging on this particular issue, I'm afraid, is simply not good enough yeah. and is letting down women and girls uh, in Afghanistan. Yeah. Graham Simpson. Thank you. The cost of building the Glen Sanex and Glen Rosa is an ongoing scandal. Yep. Um, we don't know when they'll be finished, we don't know what the final bill will be, and we don't know what's happened to all the money. Mm -hmm. The Auditor General says he needs extra powers in order to find out what's happened to £128 million of money that was spent by FML. Will the First Minister grant those powers? First Minister. Officer, there has been a number of inquiries to which, of course, the Scottish Government and, and indeed those at Ferguson's have cooperated fully. Hundreds of documents that have been published and put into the public domain around what is happening at Ferguson's. Uh, I will not hesitate 
and apologising to our island communities for the fact that they are still waiting for the completion of both 801 and 802. What I won't do, presenting officer, is apologise for the fact that the Scottish Government did step in and made sure that we secured and saved hundreds of jobs uh, in Invercloud. Faisal Chowdhury. Thank you, presiding officer. Police Scotland recently released a report highlights that this year funding allocation represents a real reduction. As a result, the number of police officers have been reduced to 16,600 in Scotland. At the same time, the number of calls being made to Police Scotland are reportedly only increasing. Can the First Minister advise what action the Scottish Government are taking to ensure that Police Scotland are uh, suitably funded to deal with this demand? First Minister. To the member that we are funding Police Scotland suitably because, of course, they have received an increase of 6.3%, an £80 million increase to their budget. Not only have they had an increase to their budget, of course, recorded crime is at one of its lowest levels in almost 50 years. Uh, when we look at police officer pay, they are, of course, the best paid police officers uh, in the UK. So we are making sure that Police Scotland is appropriately funded. If Voice Chaudhry thinks that there should be an increase to the budget, what he cannot do, what his party cannot do, is turn their back on progressive taxation or indeed any way in which we can raise revenue to ensure that our public services are appropriately funded. Kenneth Gibson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. First Minister, the aquafill factory in Kilburnie, which carries the interlacing and twisting for the carpet yarn industry, has been unexpectedly earmarked for closure as early as next month, with the loss of up to 40 jobs. This will be a devastating blow to the workers and wider community. Aquafill blamed, and I quote, COVID and Brexit for the challenging conditions in the UK and a doubling of energy costs. I'll meet with the company on site tomorrow. What steps can the Scottish Government take to assist the company, the workforce, and lessen the impact of any proposed redundancies. First Minister. Well, Neil Gray will be happy to meet with the member around uh, Aquafilm. We'll see what can be done uh, where necessary to hopefully prevent uh, job losses or where that unfortunately becomes a material reality where we can help uh, those into alternative employment. And uh, it's interesting that Kenny Gibson says uh, three factors that have contributed COVID. Uh, Brexit uh, and indeed high energy costs, of course, COVID affecting uh, business right across uh, the globe. But the other two factors, very unique uh, to uh, the UK government. So very unique to the UK and self-inflicted uh, damage that Brexit has done. Let's hear the and First Minister. The utter mismanagement of the UK public finances is why, of course, we're seeing high energy and high inflation costs, which are damaging businesses right across Scotland. Yeah. Liam Kerr. Thank you, Presiding Officer. During FMQs on the 22nd of June, I raised a point of order that the First Minister had misled the Chamber. On the 29th of August, the First Minister wrote, telling me what he had intended to say. But what he has stated to me in writing is not true. A Freedom of Information request reveals that weeks of civil service time and effort was spent trying to engineer a face-saving response, rather than the First Minister simply admitting he had misled us all. Does the First Minister share people's concerns that the Scottish civil service appears to be increasingly politicised, which could destroy public trust? And what will he do Let's hear to the prevent member. such partisan protection from ministers who intentionally mislead in the future? Minister. It's incredible, uh, Presiding Officer, that I uh, have a member who is telling me what I was actually meaning to say and meaning to think. I mean, it's incredible <laughs> that we have Liam Kerr 
talking about disrespecting Parliament. I'm meant to take a lecture from the First Minister. First Minister. Disrespecting First Minister. Parliament. Sorry. Let's treat one another with courtesy and respect. Let's well, don't worry. The I'll First get Minister. to them about courtesy and respect, Presiding Officer, because I'm meant to take a lecture about disrespecting Parliament from the Conservatives who illegally shut down the Parliament. I'm meant to take lectures. I'm meant to take lectures about truth and honesty from the party that gave us Boris Johnson presiding uh, officer. The very difference between myself and Liam Kerr, between the SNP and the Conservatives, is that the SNP wants to power our just transition, uh, wants, to empower, wants to power our offshore renewable sector. The Tories, I'm afraid, just want to hold us back, presiding officer. Audrey Nicholl. I call Audrey Nicholl. This morning, new data shows the vast majority of Scots view immigration as a positive benefit that enriches Scotland culturally and economically. Can the First Minister update the Chamber on his interactions with the UK Government on labour shortages in key sectors as a result of the UK's archaic immigration policies? First Minister. Audrey Nicholl um, articulates very well the positive benefits of migration. In fact, virtually every single study under the sun shows that migrants who have come to the UK have contributed more than they have taken. And I have to say, I have to say, the absolute uh, hostile environment that has been created by successive UK governments is woeful. The UK has become a pathetically insular country. And not only is it morally wrong, Members. not only is it morally wrong, but it, uh, it undoubtedly cuts our nose despite our face in terms of yeah. the economic yeah. uh, potential that migrants uh, could bring to Scotland and indeed to the rest of the UK. So I would urge political parties, I frankly have lost hope uh, with the UK government, with the Conservative UK government when it comes to migration. I would plead with Anna Sauer to use any influence he has when it comes to Keir Starmer and the UK Labour Party who seem to be engaged in a race to the bottom when it comes to the issue of migration. That's not going to help the UK, certainly isn't going to help Scotland at all. And Murdo Fraser. Thank you, uh, Presiding Officer. It's been a persistent issue over many years with the short running of trains serving the Fife to Edinburgh service well used by my constituents. I raised this previously with ScotRail and with the previous Transport Minister and was assured that this would be resolved, but it continues. And today, for example, the 0811 service from Inverkeithing, a very busy service, had just two carriages, leaving passengers stranded on the platform, having to wait 20 minutes for the next service, meaning they would be late arriving at their place of work. Now, it's very welcome we're seeing a reduction in peak time fares, but that's no use to people if they can't get on the train in the first place. So when is this finally going to be brought to an end? First Minister. Presiding officer, we have, we have invested significantly in the rolling stock in Scotland uh, in the time that uh, we have been in office. And I know that the previous Transport Minister held uh, a meeting with Fife MSPs uh, in relation to the issues that Murdo Fraser uh, mentions, I think, earlier in the year. Uh, in springtime, but I'm more than happy for the Cabinet Secretary uh, to write to Murdo Fraser and, where appropriate, meet with Fife MSPs so we can ensure that the people uh, of Fife uh, get the service uh, that they, uh, that they uh, absolutely need and require. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions. The next item of business is a member's business debate in the name of Julian McLean.